Have you struggled with the generation gap between you and today's younger employees? Do you find millennials to be a challenge to lead? Well, you're not alone. And today, some proven principles and practical actions you can take to engage the millennial generation. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 158. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. And I'm so glad to have you back with us for another episode of the show because today uh, we have a special guest with us who... uh, just knows a tremendous amount, has done a lot of research and writing around millennials and particularly millennials in the workplace. And of all of the things that I've talked with leaders and organizations with over the years, this is probably one of the topics that comes up uh, most, certainly in the top five, is how as a leader and a manager do I work with this new generation of employees that are showing up in the workplace and think a lot differently than I do and come in with different expectations than I did when I was entering my career. And that's why I'm so glad that we have Chip Espinoza here today. Chip is the Director of Organizational Psychology at Concordia University out here in Orange County, California. And he is also the author of the new book, Millennials at Work, The Seven Skills Every 20-Something and their manager needs to overcome roadblocks and achieve greatness. Uh, but in addition to all those reasons, Chip, uh, we have known Chip now for about 10 years, have done uh, several projects with him in the past, and he is someone that in addition to be inc- being incredibly well-researched on this topic, is just has a passion and a love for helping people and helping organizations to navigate this well. Uh, Chip, I am so glad you're here. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Well, thanks, Dave. It's great to be with you again. Well, I am. Th- I was thrilled when I heard you were coming out with another book. This is your second book on the topic, right? And uh, and I thought, you know, before we got started, for those who may not have done a lot of thinking about this yet, or may not be familiar, which is some of the ways that we look at this these different populations in the workplace. Could you help us frame just what we're, when we say millennials, what is it we mean and who are those people? Well, basically we're talking about anybody that's born between 1981, 1980 and 2002, 2001. Uh, And what you find is that the boundaries here, it's not an exact science. So some people want to say, they look at a book and go, oh, I'm a millennial. I'm not a millennial, even though I was born in 79. It's not an exact science, but we look at it, we have to break it off somewhere and, and look at behavior and attitudes and values. And so for the millennial generation, you know, we're talking about anywhere between 1980, 2002, somewhere around there. So these are the people who have been coming out of college and are entering the workplace at, and over the last really several years. Absolutely. These are the people that are showing up in workplaces with degrees or, or some in some cases without degrees, depending on the organization and the type of jobs and are in that, that age range where... This, this is a lot of our newer employees. Well, absolutely. One of the things, since you mentioned it, with college degrees, um, you'll find that the issues or the tensions in organizations, um, the greater the education, you'll you'll probably find that the greater the expectation, which makes sense, right? 
So you'll you'll find maybe in some of your higher end places, like for in, engineering firms, uh, were some of my first clients, uh, Microsoft, Johnson Controls, Schneider Electric, where you had these highly educated people coming in with great expectation, um, and so. The, the tension is a little more pronounced in those areas or veterinarians, for instance, I have a client that has 450 veterinary hospitals and there's greater tension really in the new veterinarians and the old veterinarians simply because of all the time they put in their education. Oh, interesting. What is different about this generation of employees, workers, and even people to some extent that is that sometimes creates this divide that we hear about in the workplace. And, and, and I think even sometimes I'll use the word fear amongst managers of right. like, how do I deal with this kind of person who's really different than I am? Right. And you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to be on panels with some CEOs at different con- conferences I've spoken at. And, you know, some people say, well, aren't we all the same? Don't we all want the same thing? You know, this one particular individual said, I, I remember being an, you know, a freshman at Harvard and, here's what I wanted. And I wanted to push the boundaries. And I I said, yeah, I said to some degree, you know, we all like to eat food, but we like different types of food. Mm -hmm. But I said, but here's a differentiator in this population. They're the first generation that has not needed an authority figure to access information. They do not have a felt need to build a relationship with authority. Let me Uh, give you a story. Okay. Yeah, please. Guy running a, a big team of millennials in Scottsdale. And, um, they finished the project under budget, under time. And he's excited. And he says to them in a meeting, I'm going to take you to the best restaurant in Scottsdale before we all fly home as a reward for your hard work. One by one, they started to email and text him saying, do I have to go with this count against my, you know, my uh, evaluation? And he was frustrated and angry. He knew I was writing, managing the millennials at the time. And he called me and he says, can you believe what they're doing this? I can't believe this. And I said, well, you're making the assumption that a reward is to spend time with you. The issue is that they really haven't ever learned to some degree to build a relationship with authority or to value that relationship because they can go to the internet. They can exhaust themselves looking everywhere for an answer before they have to go to use an authority figure. So it changes the dynamics of relationship to authority, which freaks everybody out. And it, one of the things I've heard you mention before is that this is challenging on both sides, really. So the millennial is not used to building those bridges with the more the person in the position of authority. And at the same time, the person who's in that position of authority, a lot of times the leaders in today's organizations, assume that they do have those skills when in fact they just have never had to develop them as much as as you and I did, for example. Right. And even worse is for them to say, well, it's not my job to reach out to these younger ones. It's their job to reach out to me. And so what Mm. you have is a generation that doesn't know how to reach up and you have a generation that doesn't know how to reach down. And so you have this disconnect that happens. And so whenever there's that lack of relationship and communication, that's where you find, and, and you know what, a lot of tension in the workplace isn't generational, but if you're not communicating, it can be lumped into generational. So it, it, it really at the core of this is that we've got to find a way to where we connect so that all generations can thrive in the workplace. And so that's what I wanted to write about. I didn't want to, I didn't want, want to write about millennials or about managers. I wanted, to, I wanted to listen and have a conversation with millennials and with managers to say, what can we do where we can all thrive in the workplace? I, I love that perspective. And we were talking before we started recording that it, it, it's so easy. I think a lot of times for managers who don't know what to do 
to sort of lump this all into, oh, it's just this generational right. bucket. And that's why I can't... And, and then use that, I think, sometimes as an excuse to not do the work that any leader in any situation would really need to do to reach out to people. And we sometimes use this as a as an excuse of like, well, you know, it's just a different generation. I don't yeah. understand them. So, But at the same time, there are some real practical things that managers can do in order to build bridges and to, and that are really specific to the millennial generation that will help. And so I thought maybe we could explore a few of those and see what, what are some of the things we can do. Absolutely. But, and I want your listeners to think about this. Um, when I go into an organization, start talking about this whole idea of millennials and how do we manage and what do we need to do? Um, a lot of them are saying, well, what do they have to do? Well, I wrote a book for that, the second one, but the first thing what managers need to do, they have to understand that the people with the most responsibility need to adapt first in an organization. Mm. You can't expect these new ones to come in and do the first adaptation. So, so in order to adapt, what you have to do is suspend the bias of your own experience. So one of the most important things for any manager out there listening is to not start with your own experience when you're working with millennials because they're disinterested in it. They're interested in their own experience and they're frustrated with experience because one of the major challenges that they face in the workplace is a lack of experience. So it's the reason they don't get the job, they don't get the promotion, they don't get the raise. So when experience is thrown in front of them, it's nothing but a turnoff. Now, I teach millennials to tap into experience through mentoring and all those kinds of things. But for a manager, what they need to do is suspend the bias of their own experience because people who cannot do that have a tendency to not be able to ask themselves questions like, why does their behavior bother me? Or mm. what do I need to do to change, to be better? I, I feel like you're hitting on something big here. And so I, I'm wondering if maybe you could give us a framework, maybe an example or a time you saw someone that kind of ran into that obstacle and, and how that plays out, like what the kinds of things a manager would say or do that would cause that to happen. Well, well, i tell you one thing. I was working in West Texas with an oil field company, right? Mm -hmm. This guy was like 65 years old. He's retirement age and he's in the session and he's wearing his boots and they're sitting up on a chair and he looks over me afterwards and I tell him that he needs to adapt and he needs to look at, you know, and, and he started laughing and he goes, well, let me tell you what me and my buddies do at the shop. He says, anytime we hire a new millennial, we all put money in the pot to see you know, to guess when he's going to leave. And we all try to run him off. And what they resented was the millennial did work from behind the desk, emailing, texting, those kinds of things. And they were out in coffee shops in their trucks making sales on, on pipe. So I said to him, I said, well, you've got a whole career here. And your job now is to run people off. Do you think that you could reproduce yourself in another person, in your knowledge, in your experience? Do you think you're really that good? Mm. And he goes, yeah, I am. And I said, do you think the truck is the way to do it and not you know, text message. And he says, yeah, I believe that. I said, well, then get that millennial, put him in your truck and go make him, you know, what you are. And he looked at me like I was nuts. And he said, I'll try it. Six months later, he was able to reproduce himself in two millennials where their production went way up. His company did not want him to retire. They wanted to send him around to all the shops and talk to people because their attrition was so bad. Wow. So it was just Kim getting out of that mindset of not doing it the way he right. necessarily came up through the organization, but thinking differently about how he would approach a different generation of employees. Exactly. And what happened when they got in the truck with him, went to the coffee shop, 
then he was willing to listen to them about messaging and sending out emails and the mm. social networking stuff. So it's it's a matter of really, <laughs> we have to, from all sides of this, value our approaches and see the, the credibility in them and how we can learn from each other. One thing that you've said is that a lot of the communication breakdown is a result of mis- mismatched expectations. Correct. And that one thing that managers can do, particularly for this this demographic of employees is to be very clear and very detailed on expectations. Tell me more about that. Well, absolutely. And what I like to say in my book is that ambiguity is the millennial kryptonite. Uh Okay. The more ambiguous you are, the more difficult it is for them. And really they're going to freak out because they're worried about expectation. Um, As a university professor, one of the things I noticed early between the 2000s and the 1990s is that my students would come in and go through a syllabus with a red pen line by line because they wanted specific information in detail because they're success oriented. They don't want to fail. Now, another issue here, Dave, is that they haven't been allowed to fail. Um, so work may be the first place that they're in a system where they feel failure. And because inevitably in every workplace, someone runs into failure. Right, exactly. <laughs> Unlike in the classroom, which doesn't always happen as much, what what's the way that a good manager can really assist and help and coach in that situation? Who's thinking through the framework of how do I help this person who may not have experienced failure? Well, you used the word earlier, assume. The Achilles heel of every manager will be if you make assumptions about what they know and understand about what they've been asked to do or what good work looks like. One of the things that you'll find is that this generation thinks everything's negotiable at the end. Another thing, they think that quantity is equal to quality. So if I stayed here 40 hours, then I should get... So you have to be very specific in details. I have another great story for you. Oh, sure. Okay, so a friend of mine who owns apartment complexes, uh, several of them, sends his son to get his MBA because he wants him to take over the business someday. And he sits him down, he says, hey, I want you to go out and do a KTR report for me on this uh, apartment building. Son walks out of his office, says, you got it. A day goes by, the dad calls him and says, where is it? He goes, I'm working on it, dad. Two days, three days, four days. Finally calls the son and he's really exhausted with this whole thing. He goes, what is going on? So the son comes in the office and says, dad, what's a KTR report? Mm. And he says, it's my own acronym for kick the tires. Just find out how many units, what's the cost per unit, and what's the occupancy. And so my friend called me and he says, can you believe this kid? He's got an MBA. And I said, well, you made the assumption that he knew what your acronym meant. And what he did is he went to his office and he searched the internet and he called his old professors and nobody knew what it meant. <laughs> and I said, so on, on that side, what he needed to do was ask for the details from you if he didn't understand, but never assume somebody understands. Hmm. I know feedback is something that this generation of employees really want, may not necessarily say that they always want, but but really are desire. And I, I think a lot of times managers don't really know what to do with that because that's different than sometimes the expectations of some of the older generations. Um, what is the kind of thing that as a manager I should be thinking about when I'm when I'm working with this population and around feedback? Okay, feedback. One of the things that millennials love feedback, but they have a tendency to love positive 
feedback and constructive feedback and anything they perceive <laughs> in this way, in this way, they are exactly like me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so that part is, is difficult. So what happens is managers think about it though, too. span of control has grown, right? And how many people we manage. Yeah. So giving feedback is just difficult from a time perspective. But then when you get somebody that you're giving feedback to, that's pushing back on you and starting to project onto you to say, well, you didn't train me. You know, you didn't tell me you didn't do this. You didn't do that. So here's what I would suggest to, to, to managers is do not, do not get caught up in their defensiveness. If you find somebody defensive, self-differentiate from that, you know, just step back and say, look, I want to help you. This is constructive. Mm -hmm. um, I watched a student one day who managed a skate shop who had an employee that was another student in the same class. They were best friends. And they came into class earlier their discussion. And the one, the manager said, where were you last night? You didn't show up to work. The guy says, well, I went to the beach bonfire. It was just incredible. And he says, look, you and I are friends and we'll always be friends. But if you ever do that again, you're fired. Now, where do you want to go to lunch? What I learned from that, Dave, in that just snippet of time was this wasn't the sandwich method. This, was when, this wasn't something positive or, you know, and then negative and then positive. No, it was a very direct message. But what that young man did is he, he assured the other person of the relationship Millennials are relationship oriented. Mm. Okay. And what frustrates them is their own ability to communicate with people older than them. They get that about themselves. But what they want to make sure is that the relationship is intact. So, managers that are out there that give that sense of feedback, I'd say another thing is don't do it formally. Don't call somebody in your office to give them that feedback. Walk around with them, you know, do it in their space. Never send a, a, an email or a message or a note. Hey, I want to meet with you at two o'clock. I mean, that's that's a way to just okay. you know just drive them crazy. So from a just just from thinking about this from an optics look, physical space of get out of your office. I mean, if you're the manager, get out of your office. Go have a conversation. Go take someone for a walk. You know, whatever that is, but don't. Don't have don't have that be quite as formal, right? Exactly, because in, in a real value of millennials is informality, and that's mm. why they come off sometimes. You know, we, 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 it, the big joke is they wear flip flops or they do this, but th and they don't call people by titles normally because they don't think that's authentic. And if they think in a real friendship and relationship, they're not calling you Doctor Dave or you know, they're just reaching out. Yeah. Another great story of this was a provost of a major university who had built a relationship with a student over the summer in a Starbucks, and they were friends. And on the first day of school, that student went into the provost's office and called the provost by her first name, and it freaked her out, saying, well, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And, and so she called me because she had read the book, and she said, you know, am I being, you know, too highbrow about this? You know, I earned the degree, but this is, you know, academic decorum and this is what makes the academy work. And I said, let me tell you something that that student just wants to have a relationship with you. She doesn't have, she doesn't care if she has to call you doctor or by your first name, just sit out the rules. So she met with a student said, Hey, when we're on campus, call me doctor. So-and-so when we're in the Starbucks, call me by my first name. She says, great. I just want to be friends. The, the issue is that they, they truly don't mean to be abrasive. Think about children today. I saw this the other day picking up my daughter for, from school. There's a, her friends next to her. A man walks up and she says, hello, Mr. Willis. And he goes, my name is Bob. My dad's Mr. Willis. And she goes, oh. The next guy walks up and she says, hello, Ron. He goes, my name's not Ron. My name's Mr. Anderson. 
<laughs> so the conventions that yeah. used to be normative, you know, they're just not there. Yeah. I mean, even look in the workplace. What do we wear anymore? You know, you don't know if it's casual, this or that. So things that used to be just normative, you could expect, they don't have that. So then when they come in and they don't act that way, everybody goes, wow, they're, you know, they're, they're so informal and they're so disrespectful. Well, and this really comes back to our conversation about expectations. I mean, the world has changed so much in the last generation. Um, I think even the time since I graduated from college, it wasn't that long ago, right. 15 years the world has really changed a lot. And so it comes back to that, what is the norm here? So in this organization, how do we right. interact with each other? Um, and so I think part of what I'm hearing you say is just be authentic about that. Tell right. people what's going on. Right. You know, tell them how they should you know, address and be addre- you know, addressing people and all of that. that that's, that's the kind of thing that we just don't have as many societal norms around. But a lot of us assume that people coming in have the same norms that we did growing up or in our academic careers or our previous, you know, right. organizational experience. And, and one of the things, one of the skills for managers that I, I think is a must have is that show them the big picture to things. So if mm-hmm. they want, they're highly, they want to build careers and develop and be professionals and excel. And if you put the conversation into the context of what does it take to succeed and advance your career, then you're looking at somebody, oh, I get that. I understand that. I didn't think of that. But if we just sit back and we lay the law down and there's no real context for that, then it's, it's, it's a little more difficult to stomach. One thing is I know you've, you've said too is that uh, managers tend to get a little bit frightened by the um, drama that comes along with sometimes the negative feedback or the constructive criticism that you need to give. Share a little more about that and then what's, what are some of the things that's from a manager perspective you can do that will really help to get past that obstacle. Well, one of the things is that feedback has to be timely. It just has to be immediate almost in real time. Um, because if you tell a millennial a week after they did something, they, you know, they think, oh man, I've grown way beyond that. That was last week. You know, I'm a different professional today. And so I think the first thing is that whatever you want to get across to them, it has to be done with immediacy. Uh, for it to have impact. Which is really different than how a lot of us grew up learning in organizations and how to be managers. Right. Yeah. You got your surprise at the annual review, right? Yeah. Or, you know, the quarterly or right. whatever, or the next one-on-one. It's really a different way of operating that as managers, we really need to think differently about this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for instance, if you don't give it timely and you come around, you're a week later with it, they're like going, come on, get over it. Yeah, that was last week. You in know, the meantime, you, a lot of on to that? yeah. In the meantime, I think a lot of managers are like, man, you know, this used to be a six month review cycle. I'm giving like right. feedback every week now. I'm doing great, and right. it, and it's just a complete mismatch on it. Like you just said, get back to expectations. Complete yeah, and, mismatch. And you know what I like to do, Dave? I like to put it back into the hands of the millennials. First of all, they're problem solvers. They love to be involved. They've been, they've grown up in participative households, okay, to where they get to talk about where do we go on vacation, what do we do, you know, that kind of stuff. So when you give them feedback, one of the first things I like to do is to say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how do you think you did on that project or mm. on that part of the project? Let them evaluate themselves. Now, if they come back and say, hey, I was a 10, you know, say, well, you know what? I saw you more as a six. And would you be interested in finding out what it would take to go from a six to an eight or a six to a 10. And then you've got them hooked. They're part of that situation. You know, I, I, I think in Blanchard's material calls it partnering for performance, but it's the way we have that conversation. I think that's, that's nuanced today. 
that we're working on this together. You had a distinction earlier when you and I were talking that I, I loved. It was having a conversation with someone versus having a conversation, I forget the About other someone. About yeah. somebody. Yeah. I love that perspective of, and this this is very much a a demographic of 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 workers and contributors to organizations that want us to have a conversation with them. Absolutely, and they they want to be part of that process. They want to be involved. I, I tell you what, the two two of the biggest challenges that they face: one, not being listened to, and two, not being taken seriously. Mm. And so, when they don't get to have a voice then to them, it's very off-putting. So Chip, I know there's people listening that are thinking, okay, maybe I haven't done a lot of thinking about this. And I know there's people who have a lot more millennials coming into their organizations. If I was just going to do one thing as a manager this week that would change and help me to connect better with this population, what would be the one thing that I should, I should really walk into the workplace and start thinking about or doing differently? Think about your relationship with your employees. Are you making the effort? Are you talking to them? Are you asking them about their lives? Are you asking them about where they're going in their career? Are you asking them what they want to learn from you and what you, they believe you could contribute to their career? To me, those are the things, Dave, that are really foundational that make everything else work. If we don't build a relationship, then there's really not a context. And, and, and here's what I think is one of the biggest, the biggest drivers for why I got interested in this. I read a paper that the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the world would take place between 2002 and 2050. It was out of Boston College. And I thought, wow, with the millennial generation, the baby boomer generation, baby boomer generation being almost 80 million, millennial generation being 82, 83 million, the greatest transfer of knowledge in the history of the world, if you look at from generation to generation, will take place over the next 10 years to 20 years wow. in the workplace. Now, Companies buy buildings, invest in processes and equipment, but their greatest investment is in their people. And that's what you do and that's what you build. And so I'm saying the only way to transfer knowledge, tacit knowledge, experience, something that's learned years on a job, not in a handbook, is through a relationship. If we neglect that relationship, we're talking about competitive advantage being gone. We're talking about investment being lost. This is a huge deal simply based on that. Well, speaking of context, one of the things that's an immediate resource that folks can tap into either themselves or might be a resource for some of your employees is I know that as part of the book, you, you have a quiz online that helps give people some context of right. just kind of where they are. Could you share a little bit about that us about that with us and maybe give us an idea of what we could gain from it? Yeah, if you go online at millennialsatwork.com and there'll be a button there. And, and we have a quiz that can let them know about their skills in the workplace as far as what, what they'll face, how they will do on challenges, those kinds of things. So that would be for a millennial for to a take. For millennials to take. Or okay. I think it'd be interesting, you know, managers to look at that as well, um, but to, to encourage them to, to take it and just see how they would show up. Well, and to your point too, that, that might be a good opportunity for a starting point for a conversation of having a conversation with Right. Their employees of, you know, what are some of the things where where are you finding you you're really strong and where are some opportunities that, you know, we can work together to help you to continue to build your skill set and build your experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tell you the millennials at work book is is I tell millennials, you know, well, first of all, for for managers, I say the people with the most, you know, maturity have to adapt first. 
But I tell millennials, for those that want more responsibility, must adapt. And so really millennials at work is about helping those millennials to understand the areas they need to adapt to be effective in the workplace. Chip, I really appreciate your wisdom and your time on this. I'm, I'm so grateful for the work you've done on this and the research and the writing. I know so many organizations have benefited from your work, and it, and it gives managers a real context of how to handle these situations. And, and we'll, we're going to put links to all of this in the show notes. So for those of you who get the weekly updates, you'll, you'll get that. And we're also going to put a link to your previous book too, Chip, which oh, is great. specifically directed on how to manage the millennials, right. because that's, I know that's going to be of real value to people too. Well, good. Thank you so much. Dr. Chip Espinoza is the author of the new book, Millennials at Work, The Seven Skills Every 20-Something and Their Manager Needs to Overcome Roadblocks and Achieve Greatness. Chip, thanks again. This didn't come up in our conversation, but you should know that Chip's book is also co-branded with the folks at Franklin Covey. They're the ones that did the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey originally. So really good stuff. I'd encourage you to check it out, particularly if something that Chip mentioned today resonated with you. And for me, I've got a whole list of things that I'm going to be referring back to when I have conversations like this with leaders. And I hope that you'll refer back to this too. And my challenge for you would be to take Chip's challenge here at the end and to take an opportunity this week to build a relationship with someone or strengthen an existing relationship. Just starting that conversation is, I think you've seen in this converse, in this conversation today, is the starting point for a lot of this, of understanding and starting to have dialogue about many of these things. And so that, that all comes back to that relationship, like Chip said. So if you're looking for a framework for how to do that and you're not sure where to start, where I'd start is go to coachingforleaders.com slash two, as in the number two, And that'll take you way back to episode number two of this show three years ago. In that episode, I introduced the from model, four-step model for how to have a conversation when you're starting to work with someone or coach them or lead them for the first time. It's also a great framework to use just, you know, if you don't know someone really well and want to get to know them better and find out more about what is meaningful to them and where they're going in their lives and their careers. So again, that's coachingforleaders.com slash two. And I'd encourage you to take action on that in the coming days. If you do, you build the framework for exactly what Chip was talking about. Let's build that relationship first. And speaking of a relationship, I hope you will join into the conversation as well and ask questions of us and leave a comment for Chip at coachingforleaders.com slash 158. All of the things we mentioned on today's show will be up there, a number of the quotes from Chip, and of course, the links to both of his books, Millennials at Work and Managing the Millennial, uh, which is a great resource as well, too. And of course, I always welcome your comments, questions, or feedback, either on this show or any future or past show, and in particular for the next Q&A show coming up for episode number 161, the topic for that show is difficult conversations, so that ties right into what we're talking about today. If you find that you are struggling with how to engage in a conversation, how to start a conversation, uh, if you find that that's something that tends to be a sticking point for you more so is, is communication with others and running in those tough situations, I'd really encourage you to send in a question for that show, and you can do it at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Don't have many questions yet. Uh, they tend to come last minute, though, so get your question in now, and that way it'll be more likely that I'll be able to consider it for 
the show. A final announcement before I thank the folks who joined the weekly update this week is I will be in Chicago a good portion of this week visiting my parents. And I mentioned on the last couple of weeks that I am uh, putting together a dinner meetup for those who are members of the Coaching for Leaders community. And by member, as in you listen to the show, if you've listened once, hey, you're a member of the community. So uh, feel free to join me uh, this coming Thursday, September 18th. 2014 for a dinner meetup. It's going to be from 6 till 7.30. It's going to be in Bolingbrook, Illinois. Uh, the location is now confirmed. So if you are interested in joining, just getting together for a casual dinner, nothing fancy, just a uh, uh, just an opportunity for us to meet face-to-face and also uh, probably even more importantly for uh, those of you in the Chicago area to get engaged with each other and to meet other listeners in the area. I hope you'll uh, take me up on that. And the thing to do is to send uh, either an email to feedback at coachingforleaders.com and just put in the subject line Chicago Dinner, and I'll get you the logistics you need to get out that evening. And you can also go to the website coachingforleaders.com and just hit the contact button. So again, that's this coming Thursday, September 18th, 2014, It'll be from 6 to 730. If you're in the Chicago area, and you're on the line of like, ah, should I do it? Should I not? Send the email. I'd love to meet you and uh, and get introduced and introduce you to other members of the community. Speaking of the community, thank you so much to those of you this past week who have subscribed to the weekly update email that I send out every Wednesday, and that includes the notes for every episode, so all the notes from this episode, as well as an article from me each week. And the folks who subscribe this week are Ivan Turk, Catherine Mazur. Malcolm Hall, Manjul Saxena, Nikki Papas, Sanjit Vazduvian, uh, Sanjit, I hope I got that close, Iona A., Wendell Mangabat, Leonardo Baumwurso, Belinda Miku, Belinda was nice to talk to you by phone, David Wetmore, Sam Esfani, Gilbert Joseph, Deidre Fike, Santiago, Santiago Lanzuela, Tushar was Rajali and Amy Montgomery Wilson. Thank you so much to all of you for jumping in onto the weekly update. And if you'd like to get that weekly update in your email box every Wednesday and also get access to my guide for the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, including two that I rely on weekly, and one I mentioned in this show, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. If you'd like that guide and the video that comes with it, just subscribe at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And you'll get all of that plus the email update each week. And I'd love to stay engaged with you each week over email as well. Hey, I hope you have a fantastic week. And get your questions in for the next Q&A show, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.